Welcome to Jewelry Navigator, the podcast where I share informative gem and jewelry tips guiding you to be informed jewelry shoppers and collectors. I'm your host, Brenna Pakes, graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. You could say I'm somewhat obsessed with rocks, gems, and jewelry, as I believe they are truly wonderful and worthy of their own podcast. In preparation for departure, please be sure whatever audio device you're listening on is switched off of airplane mode and prepare for on-time gem arrivals. Thanks so much for joining me and welcome aboard. So when is a diamond not a diamond? I know it sounds like a trick question, but bear with me because this is really valuable information to know. And it ties in with our theme journey of trends and traditions, especially with jewelry collections. And it has to do with gemstones gems and stones that are used as diamond substitutes. And I felt like it would be really helpful for you to have in your back pocket as you build your jewelry collections or while you're having fun looking for hidden treasures in thrift stores and estate sales or just to have handy as knowledge when you're building your own jewelry collection. So stay tuned because you're about to learn when is the diamond not a diamond. Make sure that you're subscribed to Jewelry Navigator Podcast with your favorite podcast platform because this month I have some exciting jewelry guests joining me. In fact, next week, if Jules could talk, preserving our jewelry heirlooms with Sherry Taylor, graduate gemologist and registered master valuer, is going to be revealing even more great tips on how to honor the jewelry you already have and understand it a little bit more. So you're sure to take good care of it, keep it in your collections or know what is valuable so that you can pass them on, gift them for further enjoyment. So without further ado, let me get started with today's podcast. Let's start with the a basic few facts about gemstones and their mineral beginnings. And I kind of started that with the last podcast aquamarine and its gemstone siblings, the scoop on barrel. Diamonds still have a sort of a mystique and a mysterious component to them. They've always been copied because of their value and their rarity. And starting with just a really basic knowledge of gemology and what three kinds of stones are considered as gemstones and jewelry, and not all of them are equal in value or properties. So let's get started with what a natural gemstone is. Natural gemstones are from minerals that form in the earth as a result of geological activity and forces, and it's without any intervention from humans. All gem minerals have specific physical chemical, and optical properties, and they're very definitive within those constraints. Now, during the mine to jewelry process, diamonds and other gemstones may undergo treatments like heating to enhance color or diminish the significance of inclusions. The treatments don't change that they're natural 
gemstones, they only alter specific aspects of their appearance, like internal occlusions or improving the color. And the treatments are approved by the Federal Trade Commission. They're strictly regulated by these guidelines, and they're widely used and for the most part stable. There are some that you need to know about, but your jeweler should be able to tell you about those and definitely accepted within the industry. Synthetic gemstones, on the other hand, are created in a lab and have the exact same chemical, physical, and optical properties as their natural counterparts. There may be some variations, but not much. For instance, chemically, natural diamonds are composed of crystallized carbon, which also is the same component or the same element for lab-grown diamonds. I'm not going to get into lab-grown diamonds because there is a lot more detail that goes into explaining how they're made, and there are a lot of other uh, supporting information that I want to share with you and just be completely prepared to do that. Okay, so other common lab-grown gems like natural and synthetic emerald, they have the same chemical elements of beryllium, aluminum, silicon, and oxide, the exact same chemical elements that natural emerald does. They're just made in the lab. Almost every gemstone has a synthetic alternative or a lab-grown counterpart with the same physical, chemical, and optical properties within a small variance. And one interesting fact about synthetic gemstones is that they've been around for quite a while. They were originally made or discovered, there were some scientists who kept on working on figuring out how to make gem material in the labs, and they finally did it. It was in the 1800s, I think in the latter part, but it was mostly corundum, which is the mineral of um, ruby and sapphire. So it's you shouldn't be too surprised if you come across them in family or vintage jewelry. They're very common, and you almost should be a little bit um, suspicious of large red or blue stones. Um, they were fairly common in older jewelry. In fact, a lot of um, synthetic alexandrite, which changes color from a greenish blue to a reddish purple is often faceted in larger stones, which is another which is another uh, kind of a red flag to give you because natural alexandrite is extremely rare and larger stones are even more rare of a natural alexandrite. So these are um, kind of a backdrop in key I want to say um, key reasons to have a gemologist you know so that they can check things out for you and make sure they can look at them right away and let you know if they're natural or lab created or synthetic. Okay, imitation gemstones. And the reason I'm going over all of this is it will become clear as we get into the different and more common stones that are used as diamond substitutes. I'm just kind of building your base knowledge so that you understand once we get to these imitations, you'll you'll understand the different ones. So let's kind of back up here. And we talked about natural gemstones. Those are all natural created um, 
you know, by the earth without any kind of intervention from, um, from humans. And then we talked about synthetic gemstones, which have been around for some time and they're always created in a lab. Many of them, most of them have natural counterparts. And now we're going to be talking about imitation gemstones. And this is where the gemology gets more important. And attention to detail can be the difference between a piece of glass and a natural valuable diamond. Imitation gemstones, including glass, have been used since we started adorning ourselves with sparkly trinkets and treasures. And an imitation gemstone is not like its natural counterpart at all. It only resembles it, but it does not share any physical, optical, or chemical characteristics with its natural gem counterpart. For instance, to the untrained eye, a faceted piece of glass is often a common diamond substitute in older jewelry and some, um, you know, just really inexpensive jewelry. And this is what we call a simulant. It simulates or mimics the way a natural gemstone looks. If you look closely at costume jewelry, as a matter of fact, clear faceted glass crystal stones are often painted on the backside of them with a reflective backing to make it glitter and reflect more similar to a diamond. So that was one of the original diamond simulants or clear cut glass that are painted on the backside with a foil and they're actually called foil backs. <laughs> so that's kind of a neat trade name to know. And still a lot of, um, like watch bezels, um, costume watch bezels have the little, what they look like diamonds. There are little stones and some of them fall out. You can sometimes see that little foil, that metallic, um, paint that's left behind that was a foil bag. So this is why it's so important to know what you have and get it verified by professionals like a graduate gemologist and a jeweler who's familiar with imitation gemstones. So you know what you have and you know how to take care of it as well. Let's get into some of the more commonly used simulants that have been used in more modern times, and they're very abundant in a lot of jewelry today. And the challenges increase as we progress through this list of gemstones to help you understand when a diamond is not a diamond. So to compete with the appearance of a diamond, simulants and synthetic gem materials are selected to imitate a diamond based on how close they mimic a diamond's signature optical properties of sparkle. And the sparkle is what we see that is so enticing. You look at it and it just is so bright and sparkly. And there are two optical properties that we define as the basic components of the of that. One is fire, which is a gem's ability to split white light into the scattering of colorful flashes. And the other one is brilliance or its ability to reflect light and return light back through the stone. Due to diamond's physical and optical characteristics, they perform exceptionally well 
as a very sparkly gemstone. Now, some of this is influenced by the precision and the excellence of a stone's cut. So I, I don't want to leave that out, but once again, that's for another topic. This is just a basic overview of some diamond substitutes and what to look for and what are the most common ones. Other colorless materials are used as diamonds and most do not perform within the same ability as diamonds including a very important physical characteristic, which is its hardness. Diamond has the highest hardness rating of all gem materials. And based on a scale of one to 10 on the Mohs hardness scale, it's a 10, which is really important for jewelry worn on a daily and regular basis like engagement rings. And that's why diamonds are chosen not just for their beauty and their rarity, but for their durability. Now let's get into some of the more popular and common uh, diamond stimulants or substitutes. And the first is cubic zirconia or CZ for short. It's composed of zirconium oxide chemically, and it's one of the most commonly used modern substitutes for diamonds. It is an eight and a half on the hardness scale and while it's found in nature, it's not very common, and it's it's been mass-produced, laboratory, lab-grown, starting in the 1970s. So it's remained very popular as a popular diamond substitute because it has become fairly inexpensive. It's easy to come by. They facet them in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It underperforms to diamond with its dispersion, but it has greater fire than diamond, which is often kind of a giveaway to its identity, kind of like a gemology spidey sense of it's just too good to be true. If you were to hold a diamond and a CZ together side by side, you would look at the CZ and say, hmm, something's just a little off about that. And that's what it is. It's fire is greater than diamond, but there's something that it's underperforming. It doesn't have as good of a, of a dispersion as the, um, as diamonds do. It's also softer than diamond and will show scratches and abrasions over time. And it may also turn hazy or yellowish with wear. Now the second one is probably more popular now than CZ because it's a harder material is moissanite. It's silicon carbide and it has a hardness of 9.25. It comes close to the exceptional qualities of diamond, especially with hardness, even surpassing it with nearly doubling its dispersion rate to diamond, which is kind of another characteristic similar to fire. But um, again, it's another subtle hint that outperforms diamond that helps you recognize that it's it's not it's not a diamond. It also does have a, um, a it's doubly refractive. So when you look at it and you see through the middle, it sort of looks hazy because there's a doubling effect, and that that's a concept, a gemological concept that's a little more difficult to explain, but it is a characteristic that's easy to identify moissanite with. Now, like CZ, moissanite has been found in a natural form, but it's extremely rare. But interestingly enough, it's named after a French chemist, Henri Moissan, and he found them, he found moissanite in 
rock samples from a meteor crater in Arizona in the late 1800s. So I think that's kind of cool. It, it's actually an effect of the incredible heat and impact from a meteor in the surrounding uh, sediments in where the the impact was of a, of a meteor. And they do find small elements and small pieces of moissanite in nature, but nothing significant enough to produce enough gems. But now it's widely made in the lab. And it it's a great substitute for diamond because of its hardness. And a lot of people really like it, but some people don't like that extreme, um, the extreme fire. It's almost too much compared to a diamond. But here again, it's all personal preference and it's it's based on a lot of other factors too that it just becomes a very personal preference and making sure that you're educated what's a, to what is available and also what stones might be set in jewelry that you might come across in an estate sale or in a jewelry store or even in your own jewelry box that you you may have inherited or something like that. It's just nice to know these differentiating factors with, you know, diamond substitutes. So now we get into a little bit more of a, not necessarily sticky situation, but it gets a little complicated because now I'm going to put back the natural component in that there are some natural gems that are actually used to imitate or substitute for diamonds. And I'm going to use a term that I used in the last podcast, aquamarine and its gemstone siblings, the scoop on barrel. It's referring to gem minerals that in their natural form without any kind of influential trace minerals, they're completely colorless and it's called allochromatic. There are some gem mineral families that are um, in its purest form, completely colorless, which are, like I said, they're called allochromatic. And with the introduction of trace minerals, that's where their color becomes apparent. So in the case of aquamarine, clear barrel is also called goshenite. With the introduction of iron to a barrel mineral, it becomes aquamarine. It's the, it's what's responsible for the blue color. So if we kind of isolate allochromatic colorless, colorless gemstones, ones that might be more appropriate for daily everyday wear, colorless clear or white sapphire, or it's also known as corundum, has a hardness of nine, which is a great option for a daily or you know frequently worn gemstone ring, but it lacks the brilliance and fire compared to a diamond. And it simply just doesn't perform up to a diamond standards. I've seen them in engagement rings and they don't stay clean. There's just something about them that gets, they get dirty easily as a larger stone, the colorless sapphires do, but they're often used as accent stones in fashion jewelry as little teeny stones set on the side of some of the jewelry. The smaller stones are called melly. So a lot of sapphire, clear sapphire melly is used as a diamond substitute in fashion jewelry. So now you know a little bit more about what to expect when you see a clear gemstone. It very well could be a diamond 
or it could be a synthetic. It could be a synthetic gemstone made to look like a diamond or it looks like a diamond because it's colorless and it might actually come close to looking like a diamond. But the most convincing substitutes to diamond are the ones that are created to look most like a diamond. And those are moissanite and CZ, but moissanite is is a better substitute if you're going to consider a diamond substitute. So to wrap things up and kind of make a, um, a comparison, even though apples and oranges are fruit, they're not the same. Just like a CZ and diamond are clear gemstones, they are not diamonds. CZs will never be diamonds. And they have very different chemical, physical, and optical properties, as well as performance and rarity characteristics that then equate to value. So my advice is to stay informed, refer to information like what I'm providing or other gemologists. GIA.edu is a great website. It's very user-friendly and the terminology they use is easy to read and consume and understand. So definitely if you're more interested in learning about these subjects, I really encourage you to do a little bit more research yourself. And in general, a good rule of thumb is if something looks too good to be true, it probably is, especially if the price is unbelievably low or reasonable and they're stating them to be diamonds, just ask if they wouldn't mind testing them or ask if the, if the stones have been tested to verify that they're diamonds. Make sure that they're natural diamonds. Make sure that what they're stating the items to be is exactly what what it is. So always be educated so that you can protect your interests. And that's really the heart of why I do Jewelry Navigator podcast is to send you out into the jewelry world confidently and have a little bit of understanding so that you know what is out there. Be sure to join me and make sure that you're subscribed to Jewelry Navigator podcast. It truly is my pleasure to share this information with you and help you to become informed consumers, whether you're a private consumer purchasing for yourself, or even if you're a shop owner, whether you have an estate shop or even a retail shop, some of this information is really good review or even may not even be understood on a deep enough level for people to be able to present it to their customers. So once again, it's my pleasure. And if you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. You can email me at Brenna at jewelrynavigator.com. You can also reach me on Instagram at Jewelry Navigator, as well as on Facebook. So until next time, thanks for joining me and you're now free to explore your jewelry options. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.